All right, Central, how's everybody doing today? Great to have you here. My name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here at Central. Do you want to welcome all the, those of you joining us at one of our Central locations? Big shout out to Central Summerlin and Sunrise Mountain, to Southern Highlands, also our friends in Kingman, Arizona. Great to have you. I uh, also want to welcome those of you joining us online, whether you're regularly a part of the Central family, but you're on vacation joining us online, or if you regularly watch around the country, around the world. We consider you a part of our family. We're excited you're with us. And as always, a big shout out to our friends who join us through our partnership with God Behind Bars. We love you a lot. So grateful for you. So glad you're here with us this weekend. Uh, we're, we're excited to kick off a brand new series that we're calling Breakthrough. And this whole series is based on the book of James. James is a little book in the New Testament of the Bible, actually written by Jesus' younger brother. And if you think about kind of the term breakthrough, we all kind of would love to experience a breakthrough in life, wouldn't we? Uh, I kind of think about this. When I was an elementary school kid, my, my favorite subject in school was P.E., like, forget math and science and reading and all that hard stuff. My favorite subject was P.E. I love P.E. Uh, because in P.E. you got to play and have fun. So I, I love to play basketball and dodgeball and whatever creative game the P.E. Uh, teacher, you know, created that particular day. But one of the games that I loved to play as a kid growing up in elementary school, I loved to play the game Red Rover. Do you remember this game? Kind of a simple little game, probably familiar to a lot of us. We played this thing growing up. If you've never played it, here's basically how it goes. Uh, all the kids are divided up into two teams. And the two teams, they stand shoulder to shoulder. You lock arms with the biggest vice grip of your entire life with the person next to you. And then you face the other team and you do a little bit of a intimidating stare down, you know, trying to intimidate the other team. And then basically what happens is you get together and you decide who you're gonna call over from the other team. And then you remember the phrase? Red Rover, Red Rover, send Jimmy on over, right? And at that moment, man, Jimmy's eyes, they light up and he starts bolting at you with everything that he's got. And your job is to lock in so tight that Jimmy can't get through you. You remember this game? Now, I remember as a kid, I loved to be on the calling side where you're calling somebody's name and they ran to you. I always got really nervous when my name was called. Do you, you have that experience? And I remember those moments when somebody said, you know, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Sean on over that my heart started racing. I got a little nervous in the moment because I was a little guy in elementary school and I knew I was pretty quick, but I didn't carry a lot of mass with me. And so my ability to kind of break through that other side was a little bit limited. But I remember one day in particular, you know, that, that moment happened, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Sean over. And I know why they called me. They didn't think I could do it, right? And so I took a couple steps back to give myself a little bit of a, of a lead to, to get into it. And I, was run, and I was running fast. I mean, we're talking like a gazelle. I'm flying across the, the, the field in that moment. And I remember choosing what I thought was the most vulnerable link in the other line, my, my best chance to bust through the other line. And right kind of at the last moment, they knew I was coming. And so they gripped their hands a little bit tighter. And I think that they stretched out a little bit. The challenge was I was a little guy. And so when they stressed their arms out, their arms raised a little bit. I didn't hit their arms right here. I hit their arms right here, like legit clothesline. I mean, knock me off my feet. I'm parallel to the ground. It was a Charlie Brown moment, you know, as I'm laying there, not really knowing, you know, what to do with myself. You, you might suggest that that wasn't a breakthrough. That was like a break you moment for me, right? And it's such a simple game kind of a silly game, but I would, I would argue that that little game can 
in some ways become an illustration of life. I think that you and I in life, many times we find ourselves in the pursuit of things. And maybe we find ourselves in the pursuit of a relationship or maybe the pursuit of a job or maybe a dream or an aspiration, a particular goal that we may pursue all kinds of things in life. And sometimes in the most unexpected way, life has the way of just knocking us off our feet at times. Have you ever been clotheslined by life? That you're kind of almost laying there going, I'm not even really sure how I got here. And in those moments, we oftentimes have a choice. Am I gonna get up and dust myself off and continue to move forward? Or I'm just gonna, am I just gonna call it quits and throw in the towel? And I wanna encourage us for all of those of us who've ever experienced that moment, uh, this series is for you. Uh, this series is one of those moments that we're gonna dig into the uh, biblical book of the book of James and we're gonna dust ourselves off and recognize that we can partner with God to experience a breakthrough. And so if you've ever had a setback in life, what if that setback was a setup for a comeback? And what would it look like for us to lean into God and truly experience a breakthrough? And so over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about what does it look like to experience a breakthrough with joy and, and a breakthrough with clarity and, and breakthrough with peace and breakthrough with freedom. I would encourage you to dial in every single week of the series. If you're traveling over the summer, I'd encourage you to watch it online. I think you'll be really glad that you did. But, but as I mentioned earlier, this whole series is based on the New Testament book written by a guy by the name of James. He's actually Jesus' little brother, James. It's toward the end of the New Testament, kind of a real short book. If you've ever read the book, here's what you know about James. James is a little action-packed. James, is, he pulls no punches, he's in your face, he's up in your business, and he's kind of unapologetic about it. Uh, James, if you read it at face value, you'll probably get a little offended by James because he just doesn't hold anything back. Uh, he didn't take a political correctness class. He's not sensitive to your feelings. He just kind of shoots very straight with you. He gives you the hard truth at times. But if you're willing to lean into what James has to say, I think we'll discover that as hard-hitting as he is, he shares some incredible wisdom that we can partner with God to experience a true breakthrough. Is so we're gonna look at what does it look like to experience a breakthrough to joy? Now, when I think about joy, I think about it in this way. Uh, sometimes people say, go find joy. I'm, I'm of the perspective that you don't really find joy. Uh, joy is not something that's discovered. Joy, more oftentimes than not, joy is something that's developed. Because if joy is discovered, then, then all of us, we could go find it somewhere. But I don't know about you, but sometimes joy feels incredibly elusive if you try to find it. And I think that what James will tell us is that joy is not discovered. Joy is actually developed. It's developed actually inside of us. And so let's look at it. James chapter 1. If you got a Bible, you can go to James chapter 1. If not, the words are going to show up on the screen. And as always here at Central, when you see the highlighted word, if you can read that out loud with me. And it's summer, so you got to give me some volume, some gusto when it comes to these highlighted words. Are you with me? We can do that? Okay, so here we go. James chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 2. Literally the second verse of his book, it says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, we are two verses into his book, and I'm already offended. Verse 1, he just introduces himself, says some nice pleasant things. And then verse 2, he says, consider it pure joy when you face all kinds of trials in life. Thank you very much, James. 
So when your marriage is falling apart, consider it joy. When you're going to file bankruptcy, consider it joy. When you just lost your job, consider it joy. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm in verse two of James' book, and I'm like, I don't want to read any more of your book, James. Like, I'm already, I'm already a little bit offended, but I think if we're willing to kind of put our initial impulse aside and take a look at it, what James is getting at is this, that joy and trials are not mutually exclusive. You can actually experience joy even amidst the trials. And so what James is saying this, he says, consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. Now notice he doesn't say if, he says when. Like whenever you face trials of many kind, James says what you and I know because we've experienced it. You and I will experience trials in this life. And trials are, gosh, anything. It could be any kind of hardship that we face. Uh, trials come in all different shapes and sizes, and there's nobody that I've ever met that is immune from facing trials, right? I would, I would say it this way. We're not all going through the same thing, but we're all going through something. Is that fair? We're not all going through the same thing, but we are all going through something. You don't have to tell me what the something is, but just by way of show of hands, how many of you say that you are or very recently you've been going through something? Okay, look around. If you're watching us online, you're, you're, you're kind of with us, right? It's a pretty universal experience. That we're not all going through the same thing, but we are all going through something. And so James says that these are trials of many kinds. It's almost like there are as many trials as there are colors in the color world uh, wheel at, at, at Sherwin-Williams, right? There's, there's a lot of different kind of trials. Uh, there's rich people trials. There's poor people trials. There are married people trials. There's single people trials. There's trials for parents. There are trials for those who wish that they were parents. There are, there are trials for those of you who are bosses in your places of employment. There are trials for those who have to report to those bosses in those places of employment. The truth is that none of us are immune to trials, that, that we all experience trials. Now, as you hear that, you might say, well, I wish I had a different set of trials. I mean, I want rich people trials. That sounds a lot better to me. Uh, that may be a trial for somebody else. I'd love to take my shot at it. Rich people trials sounds a lot more fun, right? But unfortunately, we don't get to choose what trials we experience. We just kind of experience whatever it is that life tends to throw our way. Now, as I think about trials, I want to draw a very important distinction right up front, and that is this. I think that there's an incredibly important distinction between what I will call trials and what I will call temptation. James also talks about temptation just a few verses later in chapter one. We're actually talking a little bit more about that next week. But there's a difference between what I would call a trial and what I would call temptation. Trials are when you're negatively impacted by something that wasn't necessarily self-induced. You and I live in a broken world. And sometimes we feel the effects of the broken world we live in. You and I sometimes are impacted by other people's decisions that we had no involvement in, but nevertheless, their decisions negatively impacted our life. And sometimes you and I faced hardship that we didn't create, but nevertheless, we became the casualty of it. That's a trial. When it comes to temptation, many times those are the self-induced moments of hardship that we can create. 
It's those moments that we fall prey to the things where we live outside of what God desires, that we don't listen to the inner wisdom, that we behave in some other way. And sometimes we experience hardship, we experience consequence, but it was somewhat self-induced. Feel the difference? Here's why the distinction is important. Because what scripture teaches us to do with the trial is very different than what it teaches us to do with the temptation. With the temptation, what scripture says, and we'll learn about this a little bit more next week, what James teaches us is we're supposed to resist temptation. That we're supposed to resist it and even go as far to flee from it. It's like resist it and run away, right? That, that's, that's what the response is to temptation. So when it comes to the spiritual tool that you need in your tool belt with temptation, you are to resist. But not when it comes to a trial. When it comes to a trial, you don't resist a trial, you embrace a trial. It feels a little bit counterintuitive. The challenge is many of us, we actually get those responses backwards and we end up resisting the trial and embracing the temptation. And it can lead to all kinds of calamity in our journey. Scripture teaches us resist temptation and embrace the trial. It sounds crazy, it sounds counterintuitive. But James says, if you wanna experience a breakthrough in joy, that's the first principle, embrace the trial. We learn to embrace the trial. Now, why do we embrace the trial? We embrace the trial because God has great purpose for us in the trial. Here's how that same uh, section of the book of James continues. Again, we'll start at verse two, we'll continue on. Here's what it says. Help me out with the red letter word. It says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face these trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says this, Here's the reason why you are to embrace trials is because through the trials, God develops this thing called perseverance. Again, I know if your life is anything like mine, there are some times that life knocks you flat. It knocks you on your back. You got clotheslined by something in your journey and you stand up, you dust yourself off. You have a very important decision to make. Are you gonna throw in the towel and give up? Or am I gonna persevere? Am I gonna keep moving? Am I gonna keep fighting for whatever I was pursuing? Am I gonna fight for that relationship? Am I gonna fight for that job? Am I gonna fight for that dream? Am I gonna fight for my child? Am I gonna fight for that aspiration? Am I going to keep going? What happens is perseverance produces godliness. God is not trying to destroy our faith. God wants to enhance our faith. Joy is not discovered. Joy is actually developed. In the book of Romans, Paul gets to this same idea, almost says it the same way, but he adds a little bit to it. Uh, here's what Paul says in the book of Romans. Uh, check this out. There's a lot of red words here, so you're going to have to stick with me and give me some gusto on each one of them. Here's what he says. He says, not only so, but we also what? Rejoice. rejoice. There's the word joy again, right? So here's what Paul says. Hey, we get to rejoice. What? In our sufferings. Thank you, Paul. You took one right out of the James's book, right? So there's the idea of joy and sufferings again. So we rejoice our sufferings because we know that suffering produces 
perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. And so Paul gets to this progression. He says, what God is up to is something significant. If we're willing to stand up, dust ourselves off, and continue to move forward, here's what happens. That same hardship, that struggle, that suffering, it produces perseverance. And here's the cool thing is it doesn't stop there. That perseverance produces godly character, and that godly character, it produces hope. And it says, that hope does not disappoint. Another way to say that is joy. Joy is not discovered. Joy is actually developed. When we're willing to embrace hardship, God uses it to cultivate something in us that we never would have experienced without it. And that's why so many people, after enduring some of the most difficult things in life, even years later, decades later, will look back on it and they'll be asked the question, if you had the chance to do that all over again, would you want to experience that differently? And most people would say, I wouldn't change a thing because it's made me who I am today. It kind of reminds me of a, of a moment a few years ago. My, uh, I won't tell you which son, but one of my sons was having a little bit of a rocky day. And uh, he made some choices that were pretty far away from what his dad would have expected of him to do. And as a parent in the moment, I had to jump in and improvise some discipline to which my son didn't respond well to. Any parent ever have this moment? And it was kind of this moment, and for whatever reason, on this particular day, my, my fuse was really short. A lot of times I've got patience with my kids. <laughs> this day, I ran out of patience, right? And so I was uh, giving what I thought was a perfectly acceptable consequence for his behavior, and he responded back with some very disrespectful responses which for me set me off, right? And I responded in a way that I, I'm not pleased with what I did in that moment, right? And so I began to raise my voice at him. He began to raise his voice at me. It became this kind of yelling match. I began to add consequence after uh, consequence after consequence. It was not like very good intentional parenting. It was a mad dad that's just ready to pile it on, right? It was not my finest parenting moment. You might call it like hashtag parent fail moment. I finally ended up sending my kid to his room. I don't know if I did that for his sake or for my sake, but for whatever reason, it was kind of one of those moments. And kind of in this moment, I kind of set in as a parent going, man, I totally blew it. I blew the moment. I wasn't the, I didn't really set him up for future success. I certainly didn't defuse the situation. I escalated the situation. I kind of found myself kind of beating myself self up a little bit as a parent. I, I, I just didn't handle the moment well. Well, fast forward a few hours later and I was going to bed and there was this note that was written in Crayola on my nightstand. And on that note it said, you're the best dad ever. And the reason I wrote myself that note He was way too mad at me. There was no way he was writing me that note. <laughs> the reason I wrote myself that note is I had to remind myself of why these moments matter. I blew the moment. And in the moment, you kind of go, so what am I going to do in this moment? Am I going to quit on my kid? Am I going to quit on myself? 
or am I willing to embrace all that the moment was and take an inward look at myself and say, what could have and should I have done better? If the same scenario plays out again, how can I lead it toward a different result? The truth is I'm not gonna give up as a father. I'm not gonna give up on my son. But sometimes it's the hardest moments that God uses to produce character in me that wouldn't have been formed without it. And it's the character that gets formed that gives me hope that one day it actually can be different. So that's why I had to write myself a note to remind myself, right? Because I think that Paul's right in the book of Romans when he says, if, if we're willing to embrace suffering, if we're willing to embrace hardship, it can produce perseverance that produces godly character, that produces hope that never disappoints. It's called joy. It's called joy. It kind of made me think about it this way. I brought two charts with me that we kind of walk through. The first is what we've just already seen. Here's what it looks like when we embrace hardship. The difficulty happens, if we persevere, it can lead to character, it can lead to hope. We're never disappointed. But if we resist the hardship, it can look a lot like this. That that same difficult moment can lead to pain, which can foster resentment, which can lead to bitterness, and I promise you that will always disappoint. The question becomes, what do we do in the hardship? Because it will either make us bitter or it will make us better. God's heart is to make us better. And the amazing thing that James is getting at, it's in the hardship that we might not discover joy, but giving God the opportunity, he might develop the joy in us. My friends, it's a breakthrough. And so the first thing that we recognize is we've gotta to learn to embrace hardship. The second is this. We learn to set our focus. We learn to set our focus. Here's what I know about joy. I think that joy is a lot more about focus than it is about feeling. Because I don't know about you, but I can't really choose my feelings. I would love to at times, but my feelings, typically they just are whatever they are. And, and I have a hard time choosing them and I have a hard time instantly changing them. Anybody with me? And that's why sometimes when people will say, hey, choose joy, I'm like, I wasn't angry until now, right? Then when somebody tells you, hey, just be happy, I'm not a violent person, but I kind of want to do something to you, right? The, 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 the truth, like in those moments, I can't just flip a switch and be happy. I can't just flip a switch and find joy. I, maybe you're different. There are some people I know that they can see any circumstance in any situation and just feel jolly and hopeful all the time. I don't like you people. I don't know how you do it. I don't have the ability to flip the switch of emotions like that. But here's what I think is true. If we're willing to shift our focus, oftentimes where we place our focus can be something that can dictate joy in our life. It's all about focus. Uh, when I was a I think sophomore in high school, I went on, a, on, went on a choir trip, which is kind of a funny aside for a moment. I can't sing at all, so I'm not really sure what I was doing in choir. Uh, I think I was probably doing my best Millie Vanilli impersonation. And 
for those of you who are too young and don't know who Millie Vanilli is, just Google it. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but we sang their songs even though they didn't sing their songs. Nevertheless, I was in choir, did a lot of lip syncing. The reason I was in choir is because they went on really cool trips and I wanted to go on the cool trips. And I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, this choir went to, on this trip and we got to go to an amusement park. I was pretty excited about it. Uh, me and my buddies, we hit up this amusement park. We rode every single ride the first day that we could possibly imagine it was a ride, it was a ball. The next day, we went back to the same amusement park. Now, I don't know what your experience is like about this, but the second day at amusement park, it kind of loses a little bit of its luster for me. We probably rode some rides about noon and then we got a little bored and high school guys, when they get bored, they get mischievous. And so that's kind of where we were. And so we were trying to look to create some fun in some way. And we, we saw this family was not really riding rides. They were going around the entire amusement park, taking photos of themselves in front of all these different things. And we thought, you know what would be funny? Is if we followed them around the park and we got in the background of all of their photos, making faces and such, so that way when they went and developed the, the film, which by the way, young people, we used to have to take this stuff called film and actually take it to the store and develop it and get pictures back, crazy situation. Nevertheless, we thought that when they developed their film and they looked through these pictures, they would just see the same group of obnoxious guys in the backdrop of every one of their pictures. We thought it was hilarious, right? And so we did, we started following this family around and, and time after time, they would put their camera in some unsuspecting stranger's hands to take this picture. We get in the backdrop, make some sort of stupid face or pose or whatever. We got more creative as this thing went. And probably we were eight, nine, 10 pictures in when I think that we started hanging out probably a little bit too close for them. And so the lady of the family selected me as the unsuspecting stranger to take the photo. I thought, this is brilliant, right? Because my buddies can get as close as they want. They can be as crazy as they want. And so it was a, it was a nice camera. It wasn't like a, a camera phone. It was you know, a nice camera with a big lens that you had to focus in. And here's what I discovered when I looked through the lens and I started focusing. The moment I focused on the family, everything else was blurry and kind of faded in the background. <laughs> they weren't gonna see any of our fun in these pictures, right? I was like, well, that's, that's a bummer. So that picture only, I focused on my buddies and not on the family. But there's something about focus, right? That when you're really on, focused on the right thing, everything else kind of fades into the background and has very little power any longer. So the question becomes, where's your focus? When it comes to your pursuit of joy and happiness, where do you look? Where do you focus? There's some powerful words said about Jesus in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Look at these verses. It kind of messes me up a little bit if you really lean into it. It says this. It says that, let us run the race with perseverance. That's that word again, right? We're gonna keep on keeping on. It says, let's run the race with perseverance that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So that's our focus, right? That we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, he's our focus. But here's what it says about Jesus. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of faith for the, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down in the right hand of God. Look what it says about Jesus' focus. For the joy set before him he endured the cross. Joy and cross in the same sentence. Now I know that Jesus is the Son of God. 
But just because he was the son of God doesn't mean that he didn't experience the excruciating pain of those nails as they pierced his hands and feet. And just because he was the son of God, that doesn't mean that he wasn't emotionally wounded by the betrayal that he experienced in that incident. And just because he was the son of God doesn't mean that he didn't feel like he got backstabbed as, as, as those who mocked and criticized him, he was spit on him in the moment. And yet that whole scenario says, for the joy that was set before him, where were Jesus' eyes? Where was his focus? His focus wasn't on the piercing. It was on God's purpose. It wasn't on his wounds, it was on God's work. It wasn't on his shame, it was on our salvation. He focused on that which is eternal and it allowed the temporary to hold less power in his life. The question becomes, where's our focus? When it comes to happiness and joy and, and, and getting the essence of life, where do you look? Where is your focus? We focus on all kinds of different things in our pursuit of happiness in this world. For some of us, we focus on relationships. We'll focus on uh, some sort of material possession. We'll, we'll focus on a, an achievement, a goal, well, whatever the thing is. Whatever our focus is, I want you to know two things about that focus. Here's the first. Whatever you focus on is the thing that you will have to return to once joy starts subsiding. Because all those things that I just mentioned, they're temporary. And so is the joy that's attached to it. And so it might provide us a sense of happiness and maybe even a little bit of a sense of joy, but when that begins to fade, we have to go back for more from the same source. The second principle that's really important is this. Depending on what we choose as our focus will depend on how long the joy lasts. And that's why at times people will jump from relationship to relationship or hit to hit or purchase to purchase or whatever it might be to get the quote unquote quick fix. Because it's a joy that just, it just runs out. Whatever your priority will determine your joy. You can't choose the feeling, but you can choose your focus. And whatever you're focused on will create the joy that you experience. Jesus' focus was amazing. He focused on that which is eternal. It didn't make the pain go away, it didn't make the hardship go away, but it allowed him to develop joy in its midst. Joy and hardship are not mutually exclusive. You just don't discover joy. But given the opportunity, it's something that God can develop. And when we place our focus on him, here's what we understand, is when we place our focus on him, that joy never runs out. The most beautiful thing about putting your focus on God is he's a, he's a never-ending well. He's, he, he's a constant source. He, he never runs out. The beautiful thing about God, 
is not only do you have to pursue him for joy, what we discover about God, he is our joy. And this week, as I was thinking about God as our joy, it just helped me become mindful of this, that when I fall, he lifts me up. When I am weak, he is strong. When I am lost, he is the way. When I stumble, he, he steadies me. When I am hurt, he heals me. When I am broken, he mends me. When I'm blind, he leads me. When I'm hungry, he feeds me. When I face trials, he's with me. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he comforts me. When I face loss, he provides me. When I face death, he carries me home. He is everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, in every way. He is God, he is faithful, he's first and last. He's the beginning and the end. He's the, crea he's the keeper of creation, the creator of all things. He's the architect of the universe. He's the manager of all times. He always was, always is, always will be unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was pierced and eased our pain. He was persecuted and he brought us freedom. He was dead and he brought us life anyway. He has risen and brings power. He reigns, he brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him. The leaders can't ignore him. He is light, he is love, he is longevity, he is Lord. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. His ways are always right. His world is eternal. His will is unchanging. And his mind is on me. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my guide. He is my peace. He is my comfort. He is my joy. He's my joy. My friends, I don't know what trials have come your way. Again, we're all... We're all going through different trials, but likely we're all going through some trial. And in those moments, that doesn't mean that you still can't have joy, but you won't find joy as something that God develops in us. So embrace the trial, don't give up. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your children. Don't give up on that pursuit. Don't give up on your dream because it's in the perseverance that God will develop godly character. He gives us hope. And my friends, in hope, there's joy. There's joy. And set your focus. Set your focus on that which is eternal and experience a never-ending source of joy that comes from the only true source who is joy. We look to James, and we look to a God who gives us a breakthrough in joy. I don't know where you're at in your journey, but if you've always wondered I would love to experience what you're describing here. Just know that there's a God who would love to receive you. And I'd love to give you an opportunity to, to yield your life to him, to yield your life to the one who is crazy about you. 
And so I'm just gonna say a simple prayer, and if you'd like to yield your life to him, if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, I just wanna give you the opportunity to do so. And so if you would all just bow your heads and close your eyes, and if you wanna become a follower of his, if you just pray the words of these prayer after me. God, thank you for loving me. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me overcome the challenges I'm up against. I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, whether you're watching online, through our partnership with God behind bars, at one of our central locations, or right here at Henderson, if you, if you yielded your life to him, if you would express that commitment by simply placing your hand in the air, just reaching out to him in this moment. Father, I wanna lift up every single person who's reaching out to you, and Father, I just ask that they be able to sense your presence. God, we all face hardship, and God, sometimes this life literally knocks us off of our feet. But God, we believe that you can meet us in those moments and that you don't waste anything, but you can create good and purpose out of anything. And Father, I just ask that you would develop an everlasting type of joy in the hearts and lives of those who are reaching to you. God, we give our life to you. That's the name of the Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.